This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey, and I am the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. And my producer today is the ever-wonderful Anthony Dockrell. As I just said, normally on this show, we talk to journalists about journalism. But today we are making an exception and talking to someone who has spent considerable time recently talking and listening to journalists and media executives. And it's been no idle chit-chat. His inquiries have been going on for over a year and a half and resulted in a hefty, rich, and perhaps even glorious 619-page report on the power and impact of digital platforms, namely Google and Facebook, on the news business, the conduct of journalism, and the media market. Our guest today is Rod Sims the chairman of the National Competition Regulator, the ACCC, and that's the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Hello, Rod. Thanks, Peter. Hello, and thanks. I like the description of the report. Thank you. Well, it is all that and a lot more. Um, I should say quickly that uh, you haven't only been talking to journos and their bosses. You've had had, uh, numerous industry consultations and received about 180 submissions. So no one could ever accuse you and your team of skimping on the task. So sincerely, congratulations on the report which is a big, meaty read, especially, as you suggested the other day, in one sitting without alcohol, which I tried to do, but sadly failed. Anyway. should have had more alcohol. should have had more alcohol. (laughs) So by way of disclosure, I should say that the center, which I co-direct, did some consulting work for the ACCC for this report, and that it has also received research funding from Facebook and Google. So I guess that shows we're highly entirely compromised or entirely balanced. I'll go balanced. Thank you. (laughs) Before we get to the recommendations, Rod, can I ask three uh, broader questions? Um, So you spent considerable time in the belly of the beast, that is news media, this last year and a half. So what what did you take from that? What's the view from in there? Just how challenged is Australian journalism? I think very challenged, but it does depend where and who you are. So there's a geographic, geographic dimension and there's a a mode dimension. So the geographic dimension is local media, be it in the regions or metropolitan areas, uh, has traditionally, particularly print, completely depended on advertising. 
And that's what's, of course, most under challenge. And whereas the city uh, papers, uh, the big city papers, can move to subscription or, in the case of The Guardian, get uh, donations, which are doing quite well, um, in the local areas, they just don't have either of those options, and just, so they we'll, are struggling. We'll, yeah, we'll get to that point because uh, it's one of the recommendations. But just on that point, do you not think that there's a subscription model in local, in regional? Oh, I don't think I've got the expertise sure. to say that. I hope that is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, right at the moment, we're seeing a number of closures of uh, local print media uh, that, uh, and we've got the numbers in the report where yep. uh, a lot of local media no longer exists. So that's that's, uh, that's going uh, the wrong particular way. threat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, um, in terms of mode, if I could just... So, yep, so, absolutely. So print is under the most pressure and there's been a significant reduction in, in journalism. But the uh, TV at the moment is not doing too bad, but the threat is not far away. The more that shows that are produced on TV start to appear on social media, uh, uh, perhaps via YouTube or other means, then that content can be seen in other ways and the TV companies are less able to control the advertising and less able to monetize it. So that threat, I think, is is coming. And of course, at the moment, radio seems to be relatively okay, mm. but uh, uh, things could change quickly. And that's the gist of your report, really, isn't it? I mean, in, in essence, this is a treatise on, on market power and market control. One of the things that you stopped short of recommending was some form of content tax on Google and Facebook to fund journalism. And of course, that would have been very popular in media circles and journalism circles. Why did you stop at that? Well, we didn't actually. Um, We, uh, and look, the the terminology here does get confusing, but we've recommended a code of conduct, um, which sounds... uh, pretty weak because there's a range of codes of conduct which are uh, not enforceable, there's no penalties if you breach them, and completely voluntary. The code of conduct we've recommended here is compulsory, enforceable, and large penalties would apply. So what we have in mind is that the digital platforms would be required, the major ones, to um, put give code or, or Uh, provide codes to ACMA, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, that addresses their relationships with the media. And if ACMA is not happy with what it's getting, it can impose a standard. Uh, So at the end of the day, ACMA can actually impose something on the platforms. And those codes have got to cover uh, data sharing, algorithm ranking changes, fair value sharing, and not impede media monetization. So in mentioning fair value sharing, in our view, that allows the media companies to negotiate with uh, Facebook and Google about that content levy or content fee you just talked about. And if ACMA's not happy with where that ends up, it can impose something. The reason for doing it that way is I don't think we as regulators, whether it's the ACCC or ACMA, would know how to 
at, certainly at what level to impose that fee and exactly how to do it. So it's much, this is one of those things where it's much better if it's negotiated and then ACMA can come in and arbitrate. ACMA needs to have a, just on that point though, ACMA does need to have an idea what the fair value is because, I mean, we're presupposing that the platforms are going to uh, negotiate in good faith and we're going to presuppose also that there's a level of take and give on the side of the media companies neither of which we've really seen in the debate so far. So in the end of the day, ACMA is going to need A, real teeth, and B, a real idea of what is a fair outcome. Yeah. Look, that, that's fair enough. But I, I guess the, the point I was reacting to is mm-hmm. the statement that we didn't recommend a, a fee for content, which I think News Limited was seeking, mm. um, amongst others. And as I say, we've... we've we believe we've done the same thing through a different mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there to be had, basically. That's right. I mean, I take your point that, um, uh, that the parties might not be able to agree, but I think in in listening to what the parties have got to say and getting into the detail of it, a regulator can then come to a view as distinct from um, us seeking to impose that up front. Mm. Before we get back to the recommendations, I did want to put out there this the first chapter, which deals with the rise of the digital platforms. And I'd recommend anyone listening to that show, go and read the recommendations, but also that first chapter, because it's quite extraordinary, uh, the power and reach of Facebook and Google. In a population of 25 million, the number of the, the, you know, over 19.2 million Australians use Google search a month. 17.3 million use Facebook, 17.6 watch YouTube, that's owned by Google, 11.2 million access Instagram owned by Facebook, and that's without chucking in WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook. So that's a considerable power and influence, no doubt. But can I ask you this? Aren't these companies creating products which, frankly, uh, millions of Australians love, right? Is that such a bad thing? I don't think we ever said it was a bad thing. No, we we were at pains in the report, and of course it these sort of things never get reported to point out that there's been enormous benefits from uh, both Google and Facebook. They do provide services people value. They have been innovative. So we're not questioning any of that. Uh, We are simply saying uh, that their reach is considerable. As you've just mentioned, they're in a very dominant position. They clearly have substantial market power. And when you have substantial market power, that brings other things into play that would not be there if you did not have substantial market power. So it, it brings in the, the incentive and ability to, to, to preference their own uh, businesses, uh, to preference their own advertising business. Um, it also means that they become essential gateways for the media companies, but none of the media companies individual individually are essential for Facebook or Google. So there's a very unequal bargaining position. So what we're trying to do is remedy all the problems that have emerged because, yes, they've brought fantastic innovation and many benefits, but with that massive power and reach has come a range of problems which need to be addressed. Do you think we've been a little bit asleep at the wheel as they've grown and grown and grown? I mean... Well, it's not clear what could have been done to uh, do things differently up to this point. Um, What we're trying to do is come up with recommendations that deal with uh, the problems. Um, And some of this is so uh, uh, difficult to see 
and complex that it really did take an 18-month study to get to the bottom of it. Uh, and, of course, we can only do these sort of studies when governments direct us. So, you know, should government have directed us a couple of years early? Well, you know, maybe, but... I think the key point is the study's out there now. Yes, it's done Let's now. get on and yeah. deal with the problem. No, fair enough, fair enough. Um, just a slightly different angle on Facebook and Google. We are um, a mid-sized country on the other side of the planet from where they are headquarters. Why are they going to pay any attention to what we have to say? Because it, two things. Uh, Facebook and Google are unambiguously doing business in Australia, and that test means that they're caught by our act and the act and, and the act of the privacy commission commissioner and the act and an ACMA. So they're absolutely caught by Australian regulators, and governments can of course uh, legislate to impose things on them. Their only alternative, really, would be to stop doing business in Australia, which I think is a fairly extreme step. And the reason I don't think they'll do that, and the reason I think the recommendations we've come up with will have further effect is, of course, we're liaising very closely with our overseas counterparts, uh, and we're right in the middle of, of all that, uh, and our overseas counterparts are going through our report as we speak. So there's a range of things happening overseas. So I don't think Facebook and Google can ignore uh, what Australia says. Last time I looked, I think we were the 13th biggest economy in the world. I agree that doesn't make us one or two, but it doesn't make us 50th either. And the fact that we have a very close close linkages with the US, the EC, the UK, um, and many countries in Europe, and many countries in Asia for that matter, um, I think this has got to be worked through and it'll be part of what's happening not only in Australia but elsewhere. This is a slightly premature question, I suspect, but you would be very aware of what's happened vis-a-vis Trump and Macron recently, where the French have sought to impose restrictions, attacks on, on the platforms, and Trump has said, how dare you attack a US company? Are, you, are we running... Are we, is that the sort of the politics of this that's going to play out? Oh, look, I think issues of transfer pricing have been around for as long as... I can remember, um, and where the value is created and where the tax should accrue is one thing, and I guess the debate is, is it taxed in France and is, or is it taxed in the US? And I can understand countries having different views on that. But the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission have now moved to set up uh, inquiries into Google and Facebook. Um, I think they are sympathetic to the spread of disinformation, uh, to copyright issues. Uh, There's definitely a push on in the United States uh, in relation to the effect that digital platforms are having on the media. Indeed, I've heard reports that suggest the impact on the media in the US is is stronger than the impact in in Australia. I don't know if that's right, but it's certainly happening. There's certainly an open debate there. So I think all the the issues in our report, put aside the tax issues, are ones that are going to be looked at all around the world. And I would imagine we're going to get um, a fair degree of world agreement on these things rather than uh, uh, the sort of difference of opinion you'll inevitably get over tax. Yeah, well, just as an aside, I I was in Google land in um, Palo Alto about three weeks ago, and uh, all they really wanted to talk about was what's this Rod Sims guy up to? 
So I think you have been noticed. I think you very much have been noticed. Um, I just want to talk about... I'm interested to know how you answered that one, Peter, but anyway. <laughs> well, I said he's been up to some good work. And uh, I'm sure the Google people in this country have been following what you're doing very, very closely. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, this is a show about journalism, so I'm going to talk about the recommendations that really uh, impact on journalism. Because I would, excuse me, because there are some really also, there is also some really important suggestions in this report about data protection, about privacy reforms and improving digital literacy, which we might not get to. But, um, and there is a potential here. And the government says it will respond to the report by the end of the year after a 12-week consultation process, though, uh, as we would have heard on Friday and through the weekend, that these initial responses are very favorable. You're an optimist and realist Rod, um, and I know you can't preempt what will happen, but how confident are you that this report will bring about lasting change uh, from a government level? Yeah, look, fairly confident. Uh, the, the timetable the government set itself is a fairly ambitious one. I mean, yes, as you said at the start of this uh, uh, chat, we've done a lot of consultation ourselves. We've had many, many public forums and got many, many submissions. But I think now that the final recommendations are out there, it's quite appropriate for government to consult on them, but saying they'll uh, provide a response to the report by the end of the year, that'll be, that, that, that's great. I, I really hope they can stick to that timetable. I'm extremely confident that, that significant change will flow from our report. Um, whether it all gets picked up or not, I, I don't know, uh, but I'm extremely confident that there will be significant change. Well, the time is ripe, isn't it? I mean, both on a, if you like, a regulatory sense, but also in a political sense. We're early in the political cycle. The government has made a lot of statements vis-a-vis things like Christchurch and what have you. And, of course, we have this parallel thing, which is obviously not related, but parallel thing about media freedom. So I imagine the government is very much aware of news media issues at the moment. Oh, look, I think they're very aware of news media issues. I think they're also aware of people's concerns over over privacy and that this issue, both on media and on privacy, uh, is only going to get worse. So uh, I think they are aware that uh, now is the time to take some steps. I should emphasise, though, that the steps we've set up in our um, report, and perhaps this is the lead into where you're going, Mm -hmm. are both, uh, we believe, answers to problems we can see and touch and feel at the moment but they also set up a continuing flow of information so that governments can stay ahead of these issues. So this is very much uh, a hugely important beginning of the game, but it will play out over a while. So I don't want to downplay the recommendations that we're recommending come into play right now. They're they're very significant when you think of copyright, disinformation, ombudsman, in addition to all the things you've mentioned, Mm. uh, and they will go a long way. Uh, but we will be, we and other regulators will be providing government with a continuing flow of information so that government can stay ahead. So uh, I think we're in a pretty good place with uh, with what we've put together. Well, yeah, on those points, and you, you did sort of read my mind, uh, Recommendation 4, for instance, suggests that there should be a new digital branch within the ACCC, which is going to monitor and investigate anti-competitive behaviour by the platforms and that that branch is going to hold an inquiry into the supply of advertising technology services. Now, ad tech is a very, very hot issue in the news media industry. It's not particularly well understood, but it really does go to the heart of that sort of question about transparency and, by extension, into the revenue models. What's your rationale behind that? What do you want to get out of that inquiry? We want to get more transparency. So in the report, uh, 
we've got a very detailed uh, explanation of how ad tech works and how uh, amazing it is so that when you go on a site, that could immediately trigger uh, an online auction that would be done in nanoseconds to uh, sell the ability to advertise to you when you go on a website. Uh, so it's quite amazing, quite impressive. Um, but what we don't know, which we need to know more about, is how much of a cut all the intermediaries are taking. So if you, as an advertiser, say to Google or Facebook, here's $100, please buy me some ads, exactly how much of that money gets taken by intermediaries versus uh, results in ads. Uh, we also don't know whether there's any self-preferencing going on. We know that Google uh, dominates um, a lot of the ad tech uh, and, and is a very big big presence there. So we just want people to know what's going on. And the importance of that is um, that advertisers will get a better sense of where they should be advertising. At the moment, there's so much they don't know. The other thing with that branch is, aside from the ad tech study, it will also be providing regular reports to government uh, and the community on what's going on uh, with the digital platform. So that's so there'll just be a continuing flow of information and recommendations if we see new issues that need to be addressed. And will they have teeth such that you know the platforms are compelled to actually tell the truth and be transparent? That, that's that's what we've recommended to government, that uh, in a sense they issue us a new direction, a standing direction, so that we've got those proactive information gathering powers. That will help us both our enforcement work, because we believe there are issues under competition and particularly consumer law, uh, whether consumers are misled, whether they're being um, provided with unfair contract terms, uh, but also to get the information for that public reporting. Okay. Well, I, we touched on this earlier, but recommendation seven, which is the this idea that there's going to be this code of conduct about uh, the platforms treating the content providers or the content makers fairly. Um, you ha you've given the platforms and the news media industry nine months to work out this deal. But what, is there any rationale for that? Is that does a random figure? I, I was just a bit curious about that. Uh, I think we wrestled with six and twelve. Uh, right, and end up with so nine. The, uh, <laughs> added the two and divided by two. Right. Um, uh, look, it, it's on the one hand we don't want this to drag on for too long. On the other hand, we want to get engagement so that there's some clarity about what can be done and what can't be done. And keep in mind, uh, as I said earlier, this is more than just a a fee for providing or a royalty for providing information. There can be a range of things that the media companies can negotiate on and they may judge that some things are more important. Sorry, they'll clearly judge that some things are more important than others. They'll make trade-offs. And so we want enough time to allow that to occur. But as I say, we don't want it to last too long. There is a sort of, when you talk to media executives and, and senior journalists, there's sort of this sense of... Um, you know, kind of anger in a, in a sense. I mean, I, I think, you know, when we look at what's happened to the industry, you go back to really when the classifiers disappeared from print and that, you know, that was a massive blow where people possibly underestimate that. You certainly don't do that in the report, I might add. <clears throat> and then we have the platforms. Is there any, uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there a sort of golden sum of money in anyone's head about what will it take to make the news media happy about its relationship with Facebook and Google? In, in the order of a sum of money? No, look, I don't think so, and I think I'd be misleading if I 
mm, okay. made up a number. Um, but, you know, we have got a range of recommendations, which I suspect you're going to get onto, which, which tackle this issue from various uh, dimensions. And, and should I say, a distinction we've made here is this isn't like um, uh, digital cameras putting Kodak's old film out of business. Um, this is about journalism, which is very much an essential part of our democracy. So Google and Facebook are causing issues for journalism, not by replacing it with their own journalism, but by operating in such a way that it makes proper journalism difficult to do. And that's what we've got to address. Of course, Google and Facebook will tell you, as I'm sure they've told you, they've told me many times, that they're doing a lot to enhance public interest journalism. They're doing a lot to help publishers. They're doing a lot to fight fake news, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you make of their sort of assertions that they're doing good work for journalism? Oh, look, they are doing some things, but that's not going to solve the problem. Uh, clearly not going to solve the problem. Uh, one aspect of Facebook and Google is, of course, they want people on their sites. Um, they want to be the, who you go to to get information uh, so the more they can anonymise news, the better, because then you can get it from Google and you can get it from Facebook. The media business model, of course, is all about brands. Uh, news Limited, uh, Fairfax, or now Nine, uh, the um, uh, rural press, uh, they want to be known as places to go. Uh, they want to be able to be trusted sources of journalism. And so you've just got a conflict in the business operating model. So... Uh, I, I don't think uh, providing a bit of seed funding to help some small uh, uh, new journalism startups is going to do it. And might I mention that some of the journalism startups that have that have that are pure digital natives—that is, they didn't exist until we had the internet—they're struggling big time as well. Such as BuzzFeed and what have you. Yeah. Exactly. So whatever Facebook and Google say they're doing, they're not. They're, BuzzFeed is certainly in a difficult position. Mm. And BuzzFeed relied uh, very heavily on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to other bits of the uh, report, there is uh, there has been this regional and small publishers innovation package. Uh, that's a grant scheme to help innovation in local and regional areas. You're suggesting that this money, which is about $20 million a year, should be rolled into a bigger pot and that there should be about $50 million a year out there to support reporting on things like local government, local courts, those sorts of things. Can't argue with that, of course, but um, do you have any thoughts about what needs to happen to make sure that that money is well spent? Well, you need an arm's length body allocating it, and that's, I think, entirely possible. This has obviously got to be kept very separate from government. Uh, I might add, of course, that the biggest way we support public interest journalism in Australia is the funding of the ABC and the SBS. And now different people have different views on the ABC and SBS, but that is government funding uh, for broadcasting. Now, the ABC particularly does great work out in the regions, but you need a plurality of views. You need others out there. Uh, so um, the, the problem with the current package, which really came out in our Future of Journalism forum, is it talked about innovation. This isn't about innovation. We just want local news reporting to continue to exist. Uh, and that's why we've redirected uh, that program into our program. We've beefed it up. How much money is enough? Look, we don't know. Uh, but I think uh, let, let's get on and give this a try uh, and make sure that we've got 
local court reporting, local council reporting, uh, all sorts of other things that make for a well-informed democracy. In a similar vein, you you've make suggestions, uh, recommendations to make it easier for journalism to get tax-deductible status. Have you asked Finance and Treasury about that? Has anyone got an idea how big such, a, such deductions could end up being? Oh, look, not that big is the answer. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we're not talking a very large amount. And keep in mind, these, this is people who need to be donating to effectively... Uh, I mean, the, the, the idea is that journalism would get charity status. Now, charity is a, a word in the eye of the beholder. But if you think of the Judith Nielsen $100 million fund, uh, that's one example. Obviously, The Guardian seeks donations. That's another but this would mean the tax office would have to check that uh, the people donating don't have any editorial control, and that's fundamental. But th- this is just, I mean, what we're really saying is journalism needs a new business model or, or commercial journalism as distinct from public sector broadcasting. Commercial journalism needs a new business model. Um, if they can get more support from philanthropy, why don't we encourage that? It, it's really as simple as that. Well, but where this gets a bit tricky, of course, is you know there's usually a constraint, which are the words public interest journalism. So now I think we could all agree that you know, reporting on local courts and local councils is a very much a public interest function. But uh, what about reporting on the Kardashians or some cat stuck up a tree in the Daily Mail or some such? Is that public interest journalism? Look, it's a, it is a fine line. I think it is entirely possible to put a group of sensible people together who can uh, form opinions on those matters and uh, distribute the money in a in a fair way that's that's publicly available, so everybody can see that it's fair or comment if it's not. I don't think public interest journalism is is that hard. I, I accept there are uh, grey areas out there, but I think anybody can that, that would be set up to do this can quickly formulate. Well, this is in, this is out and give some clarity. And I think it'll learn by doing. I mean, it's not hard. I agree with you. I think where it gets tricky, and you know, I'm picking on the Daily Mail, and I don't really want to pick on the Daily Mail, because like the Daily Mail, all, all news publishers have a mixture of content. And some of that content, obviously, clearly, is public interest journalism. Uh, obviously, investigative journalism is, a, is the prime example. But that, there's a sliding scale that takes you all the way down to, I know, reporting on food and fashion and lifestyle and all those sorts of things, which are all part of the mix of those companies, right? So that's where it gets tricky, no? Uh, look, that is that is right. Um, and that's a judgment that uh, uh, will have to be made. The interest here is to make sure that we continue to have uh, regional and uh, out-of-inner-city out of metropolitan uh, journalism continuing to function. And uh, we judge that $50 million will go a long way uh, to help that happen. Um, as I say, where you draw that line will be up to that independent body who would be charged with uh, allocating that money, and they may well have to make uh, tough judgments in the way you say. But I think it's just eminently, eminently doable but we do accept that, that you know you need to have a fairly fulsome definition. Uh, certainly, it's way beyond investigative journalism, but it's, it's reporting on facts that are important to the community. Uh, now, you know, again, the eye of the beholder, but I think it's very doable. Yeah, I mean, that's a good distinction, though, isn't it? The report, uh, f- reporting on facts that wouldn't otherwise come to light. 
And that yes. could be, you know, the traffic report, perhaps. Oh, I think the traffic report would definitely, uh, uh, if I could say, come in there. I think, um, you know, the cat up the tree might might well as well if it was an important local item of information that people needed to know. Well, I guess it depends on whose cat it is. If it's the mayor's cat, it might be important. I think that's right. But look, <laughs> it's an event going on that if it captures, you know, if people wonder why the fire brigade's got four trucks at number four Smith Street, uh, again, sure. yep. you know, so I, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll slow people down much if we take an appropriate. One of the things, problem with the innovation fund is it, it got caught up in the definition of what's innovation. This is, I think, an easier discussion. Uh, what's of interest, you know, what's important for the public to know? If you put it that way, then I think this is this is a reasonably solvable problem. Well, I, I have to confess that I was on the panel of the innovation fund, so you have a lot of a lot of sympathy from me. Um, uh, getting back to, I know we could, I could talk all day about this. I'm sure you could, but you've got a, another job to do, or a, you know, continuation of your job. Um, I did, I did want to touch on the recommendations around disinformation. So we're again, we're back to industry codes, um, and a, and another key role for ACMA, and we are talking about what some people call fake news. Do in the report, there's a there's quite a great discussion about it. But do you have a, a handle on the size of the problem? of disinformation or you know, fake news, misinformation, whatever you want to call it, really. It's, a, it's quite a big agenda there. Do you have a handle on the size of this problem? I think it's huge, but I can't... I haven't, we haven't found a way to quantify it. Um, but the, uh, certainly the impact can be enormous, um, as I think we've seen, uh, particularly in the UK and the US. Um, and it's... You know, the more you can get information to target individuals, if you can pick off 5% of the population and hit them with wrong information, but, but it, wrong information they might be susceptible to believing, then you've got a, a serious problem. And I think, uh, I mean, this is where, going back to your earlier point, of course, Google and Facebook are doing some wonderful things, but they are effectively data gatherers. Their whole business model, the whole way they make money, the whole reason they exist is to get data on you and sell that to advertising. But that information is so targeted about you because they want to know everything about you so the ads get more bang for the buck so they can sell the ads for more. That same information can be used if they can work out whether you're amenable to fly to Greece tomorrow they can work out a lot of other things about you. And that's where that disinformation becomes so powerful. So I think it's a, a huge problem. I can't quantify it, but the impact uh, can be profound when that in information, which is now ubiquitous, gets into the wrong hands. So we need to control not only uh, what information these platforms can gather, but then what can be done with it and how we can have processes to make sure that information is taken down. At the moment, that's all in the hands of Facebook and Google. Uh, try contacting Google and Facebook to talk about this when something's running. You haven't got a hope. So there's just got to be better processes to deal with this. They would argue that they're not publishers. I mean, this is an age-old argument now, that they're not publishers and they shouldn't be held liable for the spread of this information. And, they, and Google would also say, and Facebook, you know, that there's a kind of a right-to-know, First Amendment-type style of, you know, we're here to um, enhance debate rather than restrict it. Where do you draw the line on that one? Because they, they have a point, I think, to a point. I don't think they have much of a point, really. Right. Uh, they have created these platforms. They 
They have algorithms that they constantly uh, amend that determines what information you see. Uh, you can't then wash your hands of misuse of that platform. Um, uh, and I think governments all around the world have acted when uh, there's been uh, certain information out there that they don't want. So there's all sorts of uh, uh, government laws that, that, that deal with uh, inappropriate things being said now. Each country can make its own decision on where you draw that line. The US might draw it differently to Europe, for example, uh, in the case of uh, uh, what some people might describe as hate speech, um, uh, what some people may regard as uh, classifications uh, that you put on television programs that can or can't be seen at certain times. Uh, so that's what governments do. And if Facebook and Google, who have created these platforms, who curate these platforms, who else is responsible if not them? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just absurd. Who else? So you, know, you don't have a truck with their arguments on this? No, I don't. No, fair enough. Um, I, I think we've almost run out of time. Is there anything I've missed? I mean, there's a lot I've missed, but is there anything else you want to kind of emphasize in, in this? And I've got one more question. No, I think that covers the, the main things I was aiming to get across. So over to you for that last question. Oh, well, the, the last one is the you know, crystal ball question. So let's fast forward, say, 18 months, maybe two years, but 18 months. The government has responded positively to your report. The platforms have got in line. The journals are getting better funding, especially in the regions. They've got tax-deductible status. Just how much rosier will it be to be a journalist in 80 months' time in this country? I hope considerably. I have no doubt it will be better. How much better is very much a crystal ball. Uh, but we need journalism. It's essential for the proper functioning of our society and of our democracy. And, you know, that what I was just talking about in terms of having some uh, control over what uh, is said is, in a sense, the mirror image. You, it, it really is important that you have uh, a profession of journalism that is interested in seeking out truth and getting information out there there's no doubt that journalists, like the rest of us in society, inevitably have their own biases. Uh, I'm one who reads The Australian and The Age every day, so I get a balance of, of opinions um, because they come at issues in very different ways, but I find each of them informative, and we, we need that out there. So I think that journalism will be a lot better placed in 18 months. I hope a lot better placed. Well, on that wonderful note, optimistic note, Rod Sims, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your report. Um, I wish you all the best. What's the next step for the report? It sits with the government for a little while. Are, are you kind of done now and you just wait to see what Josh Frydenberg and everyone else thinks? Oh, no. Our, the, the Treasurer mentioned that... Uh, so two things. Firstly, the government has it out for 12 weeks consultation and then they'll make decisions by the end of the year. Uh, our, our team that, that did this work stays in existence uh, and it will uh, help government uh, form views on the report. It will be a valuable source of information to everybody in government trying to form, uh, form their views. So, no, we, we, we remain extremely active. This is not like, for example, the Productivity Commission, which puts out a report and then says, OK, over to you, we're out of here. Mm -hmm. We're not going anywhere. The ACCC is locked and loaded. You bet. <laughs> Rod Sims, the chair of the ACCC, the head of the Digital Platforms Inquiry, thank you so much for your time and for being on Fourth Estate. Thanks for your interest, Peter. Thanks, Rod.
And thank you all for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Make sure you subscribe to The Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics, and a few things in between, including talking to people like Rod Sims. We'll be back very soon with our next episode, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter, where our handle is AU. Thank you so much to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name is Peter Frey. Thank you very much for listening.